Well, good morning again. It's been a good day of worship together. You guys sound really, really good. Uh, there's been uh, fun things happening in the audience that some of you may have noticed. We all noticed from up here. Uh, half this crowd was entertained by a certain somebody in the in the uh, in the this grandstand over here. A tooth was lost and collected. I mean, it's just been an interesting morning. It's been a very, very, very good morning. But uh, I'm excited about today because today, today we are beginning a new series uh, that is, again, it goes right along with everything that we've done so far with our Go Deep series. We've talked about the names of God. And what is in those names? We have talked about who Jesus is and asked him those questions and allowed him to answer those questions for himself. And now what we're going to do is we're going to actually jump into the story of Jesus beginning today, beginning in Mark chapter one, as we get to move through this incredible, powerful Narrative, And it's this that's going to take us the rest of the way through our summer. It'll take us into our fall as we get ready to transition toward the end of the year. It's hard to believe that 2019 is halfway over. Can you believe that? Tomorrow is July 1st. Okay? I mean, we are getting ready. We're like at the summit. We're getting ready to tip over and head downhill. It's unbelievable that the year is half over already. Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 1 because that is where we're going to be. Mark chapter 1. And as I've said, over the last three or four weeks, kind of setting up a little bit of an introduction to this gospel, this is the gospel of action. And so if you like action, okay, this is for you. Who are the action movie buffs in the room? Who likes action movies? Yeah, the majority of us. Okay, this is the action book before action movies were made. Mark is all about the action. It paces very quickly. And what you're going to see is Mark wastes no time getting into the meat of of the story, and that's just what this is. It is a story. The title of this series, as you can see, well, as you'll see in a minute, is called Leave Your Mark. Leave Your Mark, because that's just what Mark did. He left his mark. And what you'll see is that uh, there's a whole lot of stuff that's happening. And it's moving very fast. If you're not paying attention, you can sort of miss some of the stuff. There's some, uh, some authors that have written uh, kind of a, a quick intro to the Gospel of Mark. And this is what they say. This is from Mark as story. The Gospel of Mark deals with the great issues. Life and death. Good and evil. God and Satan. Triumph and failure. Human morality and human destiny. Now that's a lot of stuff right there, isn't it? And you see, it to deal with those things, to deal with life and death, good and evil, God and Satan, triumph and failure, human morality, human destiny, 
that is going to pack a pretty big punch to deal with all of those things, right? And so that right there, it builds the excitement into the book. They go on and say, it's not a simple story in which virtue easily triumphs over vice. Now, we like a nice, neat story. Okay, we like for things to line up and we like for them to be perfect and we like for them to go as they should. And we like simple solutions. But with the Gospel of Mark, it's not like that. Nor is it simply a collection of moral instructions for life because who would really want to sit and listen to that all day? Now, moral instruction is good, but it's hard to, to, to make a story out of that. And that's what Mark is trying to do. He's trying to tell a story. The narrative offers simple answers, but tough challenges. And then finally, in Mark, we enter a world of conflict and suspense, a world of surprising reversals and strange ironies. And the protagonist, Jesus, is the most surprising of all. That's in the introduction of a book called Mark as Story. And that's a great setup because it has all of those elements but it also has more. You're going to see paradox. You're going to see irony. You know, things like in order to become great, you have to become the least. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is going to say stuff like that. And Mark packs it all into his gospel. Now then what you'll notice, what you'll also notice is if you have read all of the other Gospels, because I know you're good church-going people, and you've read all of them, and can probably quote them all, right? I just call on somebody, and you should very easily be able to quote John three seventeen, right? With no problem. Everybody can do that, right? What you're going to see, that as we move through the Gospel of Mark, there are some differences between His Gospel and the other three Gospels, okay? One of the things you'll notice right off the bat is there is no birth narrative. Have you ever noticed that? That when you read the book of Mark, there is nothing about the birth of Jesus, okay? It is absolutely not in there, okay? Matthew gives us a lengthy birth narrative. Luke gives us a huge birth narrative. And then John gives us that really hard prologue to understand. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Drop it all the way down to verse 14. Uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we kind of have a, a birth narrative. It at least talks about how Jesus came to earth. Mark does none of that. Okay, He does not have time for a, bir a birth narrative. What you're also going to notice is that Mark is shorter than all the other Gospels. Okay? It is significantly shorter. Matthew has 28 chapters. Okay? Luke has 24 chapters. And then the Gospel of John has 21 chapters. The Gospel of Mark has only 16 chapters. Did you realize that? It's the shortest one of the Gospels. Any idea why it's the shortest? He does get right to the point, and that is part of it. But the reason it's the shortest 
is because it is believed that the Gospel of Mark is the first Gospel that's written. Okay? That's why it's the first. Okay? So then, Matthew comes along, and Luke comes along, and they begin writing their Gospels. And guess what they use as part of their source material? The Gospel of Mark. And you'll see that some of the things match up. Okay, now then Luke's got some things that nobody else talks about. But what you're going to see for the most part is that you have these stories that match up. Matthew takes Mark and another, another source that's just known as Q, and he composes his gospel and he lengthens the story just a little bit. Okay, then Luke does the same thing. He composes his gospel using Mark as his main source and then this other source known as Q and he writes his gospel and then John's is just completely different altogether. Okay, but it is the shortest. We wonder, well, why is it the second one? I don't know. Probably because it doesn't have a birth narrative, but I don't know. But what we do know is that this is believed to be the earliest gospel written. And then the last thing you see is that it moves at a fast pace. It's fast paced and it is very, very action packed. Now then, Ed, if you will do me a favor, there was a CD that was sitting on the back back there. It's called Acapella, Emergency by Acapella. Should be back there in the sound booth. If you could get that queued up, will you go help him find that? It was sitting on your computer. We're gonna, I've got a song that's going to go with this that I'm going to play in just a second, hopefully. But it's, and it's going to help to set the pace of this. One of the other main things that you will notice is that Mark uses a certain word or a certain form of a word over and over and over and over and over again. That word in the Greek is euthus. Can you say that with me? Euthus. That's a good word, right? Now, there's some other Greek words that sound really crazy, but that one's easy to say. Euthus. Do you know what that word means? Anybody want to venture a guess? It's a word Mark uses a lot. It is the word that we're very familiar with immediately. And he uses immediately in some shape or form. It might be, you know, as soon as or or. Uh, just then, or immediately, he uses some form of this word over 40 times as he gets ready to tell the story. You know, immediately this happened. Jesus was baptized and immediately he's gone out into the desert. And the great thing about the word immediately is that as soon as you say the word, whatever you're talking about's already happened. It's done. It has happened. And as Mark is, is getting his story out, this is one of the words that he goes to all the time. Immediately. Immediately. As soon as. Just then. And you'll see that. And you'll notice that as we move throughout the story. Now then, there's a, a sense of urgency that goes along with this as well. When... I started working as a hospital chaplain about a year ago. I gained a different perspective and a newer respect for the word urgent and for the word 
urgency and, and what that means. And uh, particularly, if you have been in the emergency department, you know what that's like, okay? And then, you know, the emergency room is always crazy. It's always busy. It's always buzzing with activity. But a lot of times, what you have in addition to the emergency room is these other rooms off to the side that are known as the trauma bay. Okay? And that's where the really, really serious things happen. Okay? Here's what, uh, here's what a trauma bay looks like. Okay? The ones at Tallahassee Memorial are, are very similar to this, except there's a wall between each one. You know, and it's just, you know, it's nice and neat and it's a very clean place. Okay. And when there's nobody in there, when there's nobody in there, it's very, it's very, very calm. Okay. Well, you know, I didn't know much about that when I went to work as a, as a chaplain. And part of your training as chaplain is they don't tell you a whole lot about what to expect when you go in there. Right. They hand you a pager and say, wait for this to go off. And when it goes off, you've got 10 minutes from wherever you are in the hospital, whoever you're meeting with, whatever you're doing, you have 10 minutes to be in the trauma bay, no matter what, okay? And when that pager goes off, you have to go. So, I became a chaplain, okay? Became a chaplain. Here's what chaplains do. As a chaplain, I carry a pager. Okay? As a chaplain, I sometimes carry a really old-looking phone that connects to all the departments on the inside of the hospital. Also, as a chaplain, you respond to all traumas, code blues, and deaths. Okay? And it all comes across. Okay? And again, you have 10 minutes to be there. One time I was up on the 7th floor talking with a cancer patient. I was actually going through the seven wishes that we talked about on Wednesday night. And guess what? The pager went off. G-S-W. Those that are nurses, what does that mean? Gunshot wound. And guess what? Five more pages, four more pages followed it. And I had 10 minutes to get myself from the seventh floor of the, the cancer floor all the way down to the emergency room into, into the, 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 the trauma bay. Okay. And the same thing happens when a code blue comes across, there's a code team that runs through the hospital and everybody goes, okay. Everybody has to be there. Chaplains have to be there because guess what happens if that person dies and the code team kind of goes away and the nurses go back to doing their thing and then there's just the family guess who steps in at that moment the chaplain steps in at that moment to try to do something and you don't ever know really what it's going to do when somebody dies the pager goes off okay call up it's a nursing supervisor hey we've had a death uh i had a death in the cath lab one time can you come up and you go up there and guess what there's a family whose mom had passed away unexpectedly from a, a, a routine uh, catheterization, okay? And so that's what you do. You, you carry a pager, you carry an old school looking phone, you respond to, to traumas and chaplain, this is chaplain nerdy, because you carry all those nerdy stuff around, and that's me right there, that's chaplain nerdy. Because, and that's what you look like, carrying those things around. I look like I should work at Radio Shack 
when I'm there. <laughs> but those are the tools that, that you have to have. Okay? And the reason why is because you're part of the interdisciplinary team. All those things, all those responses, it's not just the chaplains that respond. Like in the trauma bay, okay, when a, a trauma happens and they, they bring the person in, uh, a lot, sometimes it's by ambulance, a lot of times it's by life flight and you hear the helicopter coming in and they, they roll them into that, to, to that trauma bay. It goes from calm to absolute like chaos and it gets massively busy. And so then what you happen, what you have is not the scene where it's just the empty bed. You have that right there. Okay. And in that room, you have physicians, you have nurses, you have the scribe who is sitting there. Did you see the computer in the first one? She's sitting there and she is taking down all the vital information that the EMS is giving them or the helicopter, the life uh, flight pilot is given to the scribe and they're writing everything down. Okay. And then you've got, you've got CT that shows up and then you've got x-ray and then there's surgeons and surgical techs and, and, and these uh, CNAs that are all there and it is absolutely crazy in that trauma room. And if it's a, a serious one, like a level one, it gets really, really crazy. And, and guess what? It moves fast and it moves quick. You've got to hurry. There's no time to waste. And guess what? In the trauma bay, and if you've ever experienced that, there's no time for niceties. Okay? It's get the job done because there's an urgent need to do what? Preserve life. Okay? It is urgent. You move quickly to get your job done. Okay? This urgent atmosphere is some of what you can sense as you read the book of Mark. As you read his gospel, you pick up the sense that there's no time to waste, that he's got to, to get it out as soon as he can. And what you realize is the whole story throbs with life, with movement, and with urgency. Now, do we have the song? Is it queued up? This song that's fixing to play, it's by acapella, and it's called Emergency. And it captures, I think, greatly what Mark is trying to do. There's a message that's got to be gotten out to the people. It's an emergency. The state of our society is in trouble. And we've got to get this urgent message out as soon as possible. So, Ed, if you'll roll that song, please, sir. This is an emergency, state of our society. So much hatred, so much pride. Truth and justice set aside. The there is a better way, an open door that leads to peace, joy, and love. The solution, there is a brighter day, a new beginning, a gift from above. Spread the word with fervency, family and community, prejudice and poison, right? Shout the message far and wide. 
there is a better way, an open door that leads to peace, joy, and love. The solution, there is a brighter day, a new beginning, a gift from above. Jesus, show the way for No excuse, no circumstance The people need a second chance They've got to see, they've got to know You and I, we've got to go The there is a better way, an open door that leads to peace, joy, and peace, joy, the solution. There is a brighter day, a new beginning, a gift from above. Like that? Do you sense the urgency of that song? You know, this is our society. You know, it's in a state of emergency. You know, they need Jesus. You know, we've got the truth. That's why we've got to go. This is exactly, exactly what Mark is trying to do. He knows that there is an emergency. The clouds of the Neronian Holocaust and persecution have gathered for some time over the young church and now they are experiencing the devastating storm that Nero has brought down on the people. When Nero came to power, when he became the Caesar, his first five years on the throne, he did some pretty good things. He did some rebuilding projects. And he restored some of the city, but then he wanted to do some other things and it got to be too much. And so in order to get his projects pushed through, he needed a reason to have it done. And so as the story goes, Nero set fire to the city. Two thirds of the city were consumed. And again, as the story goes, while Rome burned, Nero what? He fiddled, you know, watching it burn, watching his people, watching his city be absolutely consumed in flame. Well, after this, Nero's approval rating went way down. You know, I mean, you burn down your city so that you can push through a building project. You're, you know, probably going to have some trouble there. So Nero has got to do something. Okay, he's got to come up with a plan, and he thinks, I've got to have a scapegoat. Who is nobody going to miss? 
that little group, what's that group called? They call themselves the Way. They, uh, what do they do? They follow that guy from, you know, that guy from Jerusalem, that, 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 that Christians. Let's, let's, let's blame this on them. And so the rumor began spreading that the Christians were the ones that were responsible for the destruction of Rome. So widespread persecution can begin to break out. And so they arrest these Christians. And we know how some of them go. We know what happened. Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you've ever read any of that, kind of talks about some of the things that happened. Nero had some of these Christians sewn into the skins of wild animals, and then guess what? Would turn the dogs loose on them, and they would be literally torn to pieces to torture them to death. But Nero also loved a good party. Loved a good garden party. But, you know, electricity was not, you know, around in, in, in the 60s. So he needed to light his party. So you know what he did? He took Christians and he had a garment, some, uh, uh, some, some sort of garment. And it would be dipped in wax and it would be put on the Christians, and they would be put on a pike, and guess what? They'd set it ablaze, and Nero would use Christians set on fire to light his garden. This is, this is what he did. Okay? This is some of the stuff that is going on during the Neronian persecution. It was a very, very dangerous time for Christians. As a matter of fact, Peter and Paul are not going to survive Nero's reign. Both of them are going to be killed while he is on the throne. This persecution brought the issue to a head. The issue was that the teachings, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the story of Jesus has not been written down. And we need people to know this story. John Mark knew that there was a sense of urgency. And he knew, he knew it was time for him to leave his mark. And that's exactly what he did by composing this story. He doesn't waste time with a lot of detail. He jumps in wanting his audience to know about Jesus. And so what we're talking about through the rest of the summer is what it means to leave our mark. This is exactly, this is exactly what Mark did. If you look at the story, you look at, you look at verse 1. 1-1 one, one is an incredible verse. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, we think, okay, there's not a whole lot to it. But what you realize is this verse contains not only the title of the gospel, but it also contains the content of the gospel. Okay, it's the summary. What is this? This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is what? The Son of God. Now then Matthew is going to open up, and he's telling birth narratives, and he's going all the way back. All the way back, you know, through the, through the genealogy. All the way back to Abraham. Luke is going to trace that genealogy all the way back to God Himself. 
Mark ain't got time for that stuff. He says what this is, what you need to know, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, who is God's son. And then he, then he lays out a prophecy from Isaiah. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord and make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River and they confessed their sins. John wore a camel hair garment and a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He was preaching. Someone more powerful than I will come after me. And I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Again, it's a couple of chapters in before we hear anything about John the Baptist. Mark says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's God's son. And this is the guy that's going to prepare the way for him. Okay? In Luke, we get an entire angelic birth story about John the Baptist. You know, we have the, 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 the Zechariah and Elizabeth. Old, devout couple, can't have children. And yet, in their old age, they, just like Abraham and Sarah, have this child. And John's going to be full of the Holy Spirit. He's going to do all of this stuff that Isaiah has just said. And then, you know, uh, Luke takes a whole half a chapter to tell us that. Mark's like, this is John. This is what he's going to do. And he's baptizing. And people are flocking to him. And he's preaching this, this baptism of, of repentance. And then they, people, they kind of think, well, is this the Messiah? Is this the guy we're waiting on? And he says, no. There's someone coming after me, someone more powerful than me. The Greek carries with it the idea of someone who is stronger than me. Someone else is coming. And I'm not even worthy to bend down and, and, and untie the guy's shoe. I baptize you with water. But he's going to bring the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you with the Spirit. Now then watch verse 9. In those days... Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending to him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. I take delight in you. And right away, we see three key things that happen. Number one, the heavens are torn open. Two... The Spirit descends on him. And then three, you have God's approval. Okay? Mark opens up by saying what? This is the beginning. This is the gospel. This is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. You get to the baptism story, which doesn't come to like chapter 3 and the other ones. And you have this, the, the heavens open. The Spirit descends and the voice speaks and the voice says, You are my Son. God confirms exactly what Mark has told us right off the bat. 
He says, this is my son, or this is the son of God. And then God at the baptism says, you are my son. Confirming, confirming Mark's words. But then there's the question that we've wrestled with before, we've asked ourselves before. If Jesus was the son of God, which we agree with, right? If Jesus is the son of God and, and, and Jesus lived a, a perfect life, and if Jesus had no sin, then why on earth did Jesus have to be baptized? Because generally, the first thing we think of when we think of baptism is what? Having our sins washed away. But Jesus is the sinless Son of God, yet He's baptized. Why? What, what's He doing? Why does he, why does he have to be baptized? Because he's beginning his mission. He's bringing his message of salvation to the people. He's also giving support to John's ministry. And then it gets a little deeper from there. He's giving us an example to follow. And maybe most importantly, by Jesus allowing himself to be baptized, you know how the other gospels go. There's this argument between John and Jesus about who should be baptized and who. And what we see is that maybe the most important reason that Jesus was baptized was to identify with humanity. To identify with humanity. But not only that, to demonstrate his obedience to his Father. As he takes up God's mission. Verse 12, what's the first word? Say it loud. Immediately, right then. He's baptized. Heaven's open. Dove comes down. That's the Spirit. This is my son, I'm well pleased. Immediately, immediately the Spirit, the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels began to serve him. You see, Jesus, Jesus is tempted by our greatest enemy as a, a final preparation for, for ministry. And so, as he is enduring the temptations that Matthew and Luke give us a, a fuller account of, what we realize is that, again, as he connected through humanity through baptism, he also connects with humanity through temptation. Because Jesus, the Son of God... Or as John puts it, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word, being Jesus, Word was God. The Word of God, Jesus, is able to connect with humanity by experiencing temptation. Just as the, the Hebrew writer would say that he was tempted in the same way we are, yet he was without sin. And now that he has endured these temptations, he can begin his ministry. He can serve man. 
Verse 14 says, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, preaching the good news of God. Then notice verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Repent and believe the good news. And that's how Mark opens his gospel. He doesn't slow things down. He's not worried about his readers getting all the other details of the birth narrative. He knows that time is of the essence and I've got to get this story out because all of a sudden the survival rate of Christians is not very high. Nero is taking us out. There is government backed approval of taking us out, of arresting us, of putting us to death, of beating us, of killing us. We've got to get this story out. And so Mark begins to tell it. And in the process, he weaves this masterful tale that is full of intrigue, It's full of power and and compassion. It's full of, of paradox and irony. And ultimately, just like Tommy said at communion, it's all about Jesus. So at the end of each message, I'm going to put up something like that that talks about leaving your Mark, and you realize it's a play on words, right? We're studying the gospel of Mark. We want to talk about what it means to be leaving our Mark. We think about the author, John Mark, and this is what what he did. Mark left his Mark on the world by telling us the story of Jesus, right? That's how he left his Mark on the world. Now, here's what we do. We leave our Mark by sharing the love of Jesus. Does that make sense? That's what that that song was about. John Mark, the accredited author of this book, he left his mark on the world by telling this great story. Now, traditionally it's believed that John Mark got with Peter before Peter died, and he wrote down Peter's story. And that's what we have right here. He left his mark, his story of Jesus on the world. And what we see is that his mark then influenced Matthew. His mark influenced Luke. His mark influenced John. Paul has already written all of his stuff at this point. Did you know that? Paul's already written all of his stuff, but guess what? There's no gospel accounts written. And so the story's got to get done. And so he makes it his task to leave his mark on the world by telling the story. Now, if we are the true followers of Jesus, the way we leave our mark is by sharing the love of Jesus with the world. Loving people. 
extending them the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, being His hands, being His feet, helping to make things on earth as they are in heaven. Because just like the song says, this is an emergency. The state of our society. If you look around, there's more and more people turning to what society thinks should happen each day. Just like we talked about image last week. Okay, there's more and more people buying into the image that society wants to push every single day. Okay? Now then, how can we combat that? Well, we can stand up and we can rail and we can scream. But I don't think that's going to do a whole lot of good. The way we combat that, the way we counteract that, is that we take up a cross daily and we follow Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of love. And just like we said last week, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how we do it. So how are you going to leave your mark this week? By sharing the love of Jesus with those you come in contact with.